0: Down to business with Bobby Kerr, brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk.
1: So, as I said earlier, we're here in Enniskillen, but we want to bring you up to date with what's going on in the world of business, uh, as we do every week. So, it's back to Dublin now. We're in studio. I'm delighted to be joined by Caroline Reedy of the HR Suite and Doug Keating of Avalon. Good morning, guys. How are you? Morning, Bobby. Bobby. Hoping you're keeping the seats nice and warm there back in Dublin and everything is under control. We are. Uh, Thank you for indeed joining me this morning for the business review. And we'll start at some of the stories that are making the headlines overnight. Um, Doug, I might start with you with the um, eviction ban. uh, Some fear lifting of the eviction ban will increase house prices, although there are also reasons why this may not happen. It's a piece by Charlie Weston in today's Irish Independent.
2: Yeah, so this is a it's a slight sidebar to the to the to the core issue that's been um, in such political focus in the last week or two around um, the lifting or not of the eviction ban and what that will mean for people uh, renting homes who have been forced out. Charlie uh, Weston's piece is looking at what the changes might the, the impact they might have on house prices. So it's it's focusing more on that uh, I suppose arguably luckier portion of the market who either own their own home or who are in a, in a a position to buy. Um, the piece starts with the thesis that potentially um, the uh, the ending of the eviction ban will mean uh, owners getting to repossess a lot of properties that they potentially then want to sell and up to 5,000 homes then uh, going onto the market and wondering if this will cause a new uh, house price spurt. Now, to my mind, that seems slightly counterintuitive in that uh, we're always taught more supply Um, should likely drive prices lower or at least not impact them And and, and, and the piece then does go on to consult various experts who broadly bear out that theme either that a the quantity of houses that will come to the market really won't be enough to move the needle either way or that actually um, it, it could be positive in that that increased supply uh, might stop house prices going ever higher. If anything, uh, and it cites uh, BNP, uh, BNP Paribas real estate expert Dr John McCartney saying really, uh what is impacting or the biggest impact on property prices is is that affordability issue which is driven uh by interest rates and as we all know uh interest rates have been going up and the costs of borrowing money uh, have been surging one other observation from another expert quoted is joanne geary who's managing director of myhome.ie who actually says that perhaps uh the lifting of the eviction ban Uh, will mean that ultimately uh, owners or uh, potentially investors who own a second property uh, will feel less concerned uh, about government or regulatory risk on their asset and not sell uh, into the market, so there possibly won't be um, this glut, and 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 therefore actually prices could still, you know, supply still tight, and um, prices rise. Uh, uh, t- to be honest, um, and there's several other pieces in newspapers today on housing. Uh, Harry McGee has a big piece in the Irish Times. There's a, there's a little bit of Groundhog Day in sometimes reading about housing in Ireland. We, you know, a lot of the articles you feel could be the same article that we read three or four years ago, where we just read, yeah. you know, supply 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 and the only thing we know that is in that intervening three or four years uh if they ain't started building them they ain't going to be there and that's the the, the the basic problem
1: yeah i totally agree with you doug um caroline our our second story uh, con- con- concerns um international banks uh there seems to be some uh, jitters in the markets around uh deutsche bank uh their share price falling as much as 14 percent uh yesterday the irish banks were also hit so this uh this thing about you know as uh, local banks in the us and credit suisse it, it appears that there is some contagion happening
0: absolutely and i suppose in this article and many others in the papers today i suppose there's a, a renewed move away from banking shares across europe as the markets are being i suppose unnerved and uh for Deutsche Bank, I suppose, being German's largest leader, it's particularly significant. I suppose we've also seen reinforcement by Christine Lagarde uh, from the central bank saying that you know there's no trade-off between controlling inflation and seeking to foster financial stability and the banking sector is strong and that they're fully equipped to provide liquidity if needed. But the fact she's saying that in itself is a concern, I suppose, that, you know, obviously there's ripples and the same in the US. We're seeing uh, Janet Yellen saying that she's prepared to take additional actions if warranted. But I suppose it's reinforcing the, unst- the st- instability in- that's happening and it's the what, what next is possible. Yeah. I think that it really is, is the
2: core of this story. There was just, uh, yeah. when we were talking about this, Bobby, uh, it's not in this piece, but in another article around the Deutsche Bank situation, we had German Chancellor Olaf Schultz uh, quoted saying there is no reason to be concerned uh, and I guess there's always that nervousness in these situations it's a bit like when uh, people come out and say x or y football manager they have full confidence in them uh, you do <laughs> you, you, you do worry now in fact I think with Deutsche Bank uh, I think there are skitters and a 14% fall in a massive bank like that is ma- is is it is, is huge and worrying Deutsche Bank had huge issues and problems you know in, in some ways similar to Credit Suisse but I think is a lot further along the road to resolving them it is broadly profitable and stable in a way credit suisse was not uh, so so hopefully uh, this is overreaction i yeah. do think christian lagarde is being a bit disingenuous actually mm. the tension between right interest rates going up to control inflation uh, and the impact higher interest rates have on the carrying value of some of the assets and bonds that banks have invested in is precisely the tension that is a problem and is precisely what brought down svb in the us so uh, you know i think yeah. in a world where we didn't have to worry about inflation and didn't have to pump up interest rates so quickly uh, perhaps these jitters wouldn't be so bad
1: yeah it's interesting as well doug is it not you know that you know what you get all these people making statements that everything's fine but then the markets behave differently that's telling isn't it
2: yeah i mean look these that it, it, it it's it takes big transactions of shares to move share prices like this. These are run by, you know, big investment managers, big hedge funds, um, you know, not stupid people. Um, you know, so it, it does suggest and we saw with, with, with Credit Suisse very much that within you know, 24, 48 hours, the market voted and said, this ain't going to happen. You, you know, this over this weekend, this is going to be resolved. Now, we're not in that situation um, with Deutsche Bank, but we do, you know, there is sort of self-fulfilling prophecy element to this where, uh, you know, it's that classic cliche, you know, how do bankruptcies happen? Well, slowly uh, and then quickly. Um, so let's hope yeah. that's not the case with deutsche bank i, I happen not to, to not to think it is but um i think we learned anything over the fine, great financial crisis and some of the recent events that uh you know you'd be scared to predict what's coming around the corner because it might just surprise you
1: absolutely uh caroline back to you joe brennan in the irish times has an interesting piece uh, about the department of finance officially officials basically saying that uh the continuation of the 9% VAT rate for the hospitality industry was a bad idea, but it was overruled by the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath. Um, nothing really surprising here, in my view, except that this was a political decision that was made basically to take the heat off. We'll taper it off rather than cut it. Cut it. At the, at the due days
0: I think the major issue really is the tapering has continued probably a lot longer than what would be expected as good financial rationale on the basis that the cost is three hundred million that could be spent in potentially other ways. But I suppose the powerful lobbying definitely paid off. I mean, and we saw how powerful that lobbying was, and. All the business case in this article um, really highlights the fact that the sectors that were impacted, accommodation, food services, arts, entertainment and recreation, bounced back faster than most sectors and rebounded to full employment. So, and has returned to pre-pandemic levels. And I suppose, arguably, if this was to be continued, maybe a deeper dive into the specific sectors further to see was there niches that needed the support. But this article definitely um, highlights the fact that the decision to universally do it hasn't been backed up by a business case. And also I suppose it argues that the low rate was regressive because they find that it disproportionately benefits better off households um, because it covers discretionary spend. So a hard one to justify Um, particularly when the rationale was to give businesses a transition period to adapt. Yes, the transition period has probably, I think it'd be very hard to argue against the fact that um, this was powerful lobbying that got it to the extension and it likely definitely won't be extended past August based on this article and uh, the contents within
1: it. Okay, Doug, um, interesting to see... um the examinership process being uh, used in a way that seems to be successful here with a company known as the Bombay Pantry, uh, They've successfully emerged from examinership and I think it seems that uh, the new initiative has been supported by creditors and includes a reinvestment by long-term shareholders. So uh, am I right in saying that this is the, uh, a look at the examinership process working well?
2: Yeah, I think I think it is Bobby. I mean, I guess the idea uh, of an examinership is that is that rather than some kind of cliff edge insolvency or shutdown of a business that uh, a company gets some kind of breathing space to see, you know, can it cut a deal? Uh, Can it find a way through consensually with the people it owns money to um, that will try to protect jobs? You know protect the brand protect the goodwill and the franchise and try to to, to come out of it with something maybe not everything uh, but something and that's obviously what's happened here. Uh, Bombay Pantry and I have consumed its curries and they are very fine so I wish it well uh, has has uh, come out of this with I think four trading businesses or four retail stores rather than six. Um, I think the sad bit is it had a kind of ready meal business sort of wholesale business that it was running that uh, it couldn't uh, find a buyer for or find a way out so that is shut uh, with the loss of 17 jobs And um, but I guess it is a reminder and I, and I don't disagree with anything Caroline said in terms of the 9% VAT and that uh, I'm not sure you know it can be justified to, to maintain it but I guess this is evidence of a you know a hospitality service industry business that has been challenged challenged by covid challenged by energy prices going higher challenged by higher input costs like its food inputs uh, and so has ended up in difficulty so you know not ideal but as you say said in your introduction bobby the examinership process seems to have made the best of a bad situation
1: absolutely uh, caroline back to you um when we look at the wind energy sector um, it was said to be one of the great hopes uh, that we could be the biggest producer of offshore wind in Europe, um, but we really, really seem to be struggling to get there. There's an interesting piece in today's Irish Examiner about developers now halting Irish offshore wind, wind plans after a supposed policy shift What's that all about? So I suppose the main um, challenge here
0: is we've set targets, uh, as you rightly said, to achieve the wider goal of 80% of its power from renewables (coughs) by the end of the decade and a 51% reduction in greenhouse emissions. And these rules, I suppose, threaten, first of all, us achieving those and also investment (sighs) in Ireland into these uh, windshore farms and the new rules, I suppose, have um, got a lot of developers reassessing their investment in Ireland. And I suppose a lot of the uh, commentators here, head of uh, renewables um, and the overall um, marine protected areas are really causing people to have Rechange change of mind and basically they're saying that a number of companies already have started to deploy staff to other projects outside of ireland since the change of policy so it's going to be a hard yeah. one to see how the minister and the government are going to re um direct um this to achieve our targets and to get those developers interested um based on this
1: it's funny after reading the article i still didn't know what the change in policy actually was it sounds so was like marine
0: protected areas etc <laughs> but you can be sure yeah. there's those that are doing those big investments mm-hmm. have the devil in the detail and they've made their decision and i suppose they're, they they're out of here and it's going to be hard to get them reinterested isn't
2: it there seems to be i i, I just when we were looking at the story I, I was equally perplexed and had a little look around there seems to be an issue around so marine protected areas are obviously protecting you know nature wildlife etc Uh, the the other thing the government's meant to do is come up with uh, designated marine areas which are basically areas where wind farms are allowed and it has been dragging its feet and been slow on that and it makes me think there's a sort of wider tension between, you know, particularly the Greens they want to see renewable energy um, but they are also tend to be on the side of obviously looking after the, you know, wildlife etc but also are slightly allergic to ramming through planning processes aggressively and saying look, this is such a big issue, we just need to Get on with it. Uh, and, and, I, and I would, you know, with the climate issue and the target of 80% renewable, this needs to be, you know, heads need to be banged together, departments need to make decisions, and, and we need to get Big cracking, time. which just isn't happening. Okay. And Eamon and Ryan, you know, needs to be trying harder on that.
1: Uh, Caroline, Thursday is the new Friday. Would you agree? I think that's
0: the universal opinion now. Um, a lot of people, the working from home concept, um, Monday and Friday is obviously the most popular day for people to be at home and in the office then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And as a result, I suppose we're seeing a lot of coffee shops, food businesses, etc., reassessing how they're going to manage their opening hours and manage their energy and overhead costs because, as Doug rightly said, a lot of businesses and in this article they concur with that you know managing their overheads, energy etc they're now planning in keeping with the fact that Monday is a day that's going to be potentially they're closing on a half day or they're not opening on a Monday anymore because the the volume of customer isn't there. But it's positive, I suppose, to see that when people are in on the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the coffee shops and the food um, producers are seeing a big uptake in uh, corporate catering and corporate events where I suppose there's lots of team building and getting together, you know, uh, happening in offices so um a good news story in terms of the fact that a new normal is starting to uh, bed in and p- businesses are able to start planning around it um, but for a lot of people yeah. the the getting back to the office has been a slow burn so um it'll be interesting to see where that lands
1: i think you're you're very right it is a kind of a, a resetting business now readjusting to what is the new norm and what is going to be with us for a long, long time. Doug, uh, The Late Late Show, I know you've, you've watched it many times. S- it's one of your
2: big things to do on a Friday night. That's it, um, that's me, three hours, bottle of, butle of the, red the, and The Late Late, and I'm a happy man. And a Bombay. Well, was and an a Bombay, India, yeah, yeah, and curry. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah.
1: With, with, with your Bombay curry, um, what about the piece, from Kirsty Blake Knox uh, today, saying that the Late Late Show needs to move away from happy clappy, beelish celebs to survive in a new era of TV. What were your
2: thoughts, please? Well, uh, you know, I was saying earlier around sort of stories on housing. You know, sometimes Groundhog Day, they could be the same story, and it, and it struck me actually, you know, 14 years ago when Ryan Tubridy really took it over. I'm sure someone could have written an article not dissimilar to this saying you know the format's dated you can't get any decent celebs how come we still watching and yet you know to 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 Ryan's great credit and the producers you know they they have managed uh, to keep it going so f- far be it from me to say this format can't keep working I do think uh, Kirsty's not Kirsty's article um, and she's interviewed some some you know people who know what they're talking about, like uh, Willie O'Reilly, former Today FM boss. Um, you know who says you know there is he thinks there's life in the old dog yet he thinks it should be an issue of evolution not Mm -hmm. revolution Uh, i think things like shortening it i do think three hours is just an amazingly long amount of time to fill a live tv show and so i you know cutting it down um i do think there is this challenge of getting the a-list celebs is not going to go away that the big celebs they do a world tour you know they maybe hit west coast u.s east coast u.s London london you know maybe somewhere in asia they do a bucket of interviews they're not going to come to dublin um for a live interview so uh they're going to have to keep being in it, in it, innovative with new slots and right. you know and yet look their biggest hit thing has got nothing to do with celebrity it's the toy show so who's to say they can't keep uh, being original um but i guess just to you know you put caroline in the hot seat now and ask her who she thinks is going to take over oh dog that's a tough yeah. one yeah
1: and we'll end on that. Caroline, tell us who you think is going to take over. I, I suppose I don't believe the, the
0: talk that it has to be a woman. I think it needs to be the best person for the job. And I think at the minute, based on the lineup, I think Brendan O'Connor might be uh, a good mix. He's kind of proven, I suppose, he can do something similar. Um, so he'd probably right. be my bit.
1: All right, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you, folks. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Joke, for Thanks, a great Bobby. review of the papers, as always. We'll talk to you again soon.